And I'll tell you, the corn looked horrible that year because it's a whole different way to look at it. You know, most of us want to see it flipped over and black ground and you want that corn popping up through that black ground and you want it to look really awesome and you want it to look dark green its entire life. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. We want to say a special thank you to each one who has taken the time to review the podcast. And moving forward, we're going to start featuring a review each week. This week's review was sent in by ADJ1580, and it says, Excellent podcast. I appreciate the straightforward mindset and actions I can take to improve my operation. Thank you, ADJ. We appreciate it very much. Hey, everyone. Tyler here, field agronomist with A Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. I hope that you're having a great day, and I thank you for tuning into our podcast. We really appreciate the time you give us not only here on this platform, but also on our Facebook page. Now, today we've invited a grower from Central Ohio that is a no-till farmer, utilizes a corn-soybean wheat rotation along with multiple species of cover crops that even, get this, even plants green into those cover crops. His son has a flourishing syrup farm, and I must say it is yummy. (laughs) He's also been asked to speak on multiple cover crop and no-till conferences and is an absolute true steward of the ground that God gave us. So welcome, Nathan. How's everything going? Good. Thanks, Tyler. I'm excited about this. One of the interviews that Rod, Karen, Kayla, we were all kind of talking about, hey, who can we get on here that um, is really going to do the growers that listen to this uh, podcast? Who's going to give them really good, true advice about, you know, cover crops, how to get into it, how to start it, what to look for, and really kind of dive deep into the cover crop side of things. Because I think that it's something, to me, I think it's critical in moving forward, especially with the commodity prices, the way they are in the end of 2021, they're absolutely astronomical. But I think this is something that we, if we get right, I hate to talk myself out of a job, but this is truly something that we can do that's going to benefit our soil and benefit the crops in the future. And we don't have to rely on synthetic fertilizers to kind of pave the way for more yield or decreased cost of production or whatever. There are things we can do, especially on the cover crop realm, that'll kind of help with that. So I've always, I always, always, always ask everyone just to kind of tell us. A little bit about yourself. I know that I kind of said some stuff in the intro, but go ahead, Nathan, kind of tell us a little bit about where you're farming, what you're farming, how long you've been doing it, kind of the the family aspect of it and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So I'm Nathan Browsey. I'm 49 years old and I've been farming since I was about 13. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, I didn't even grow up out here in Ohio. I grew up on the East Coast with my mom, and then I moved out here uh, when I turned 13 and started actually farming, and my grandpa was kind of getting out of it. My dad didn't really want to do it too much, and I did a couple hundred acres to begin with, and and now we're up to, we do about 15, 1,600 of our own, and then we help out a couple other growers, so we cover about 3,500 acres, I guess, I can't. It kind of comes and goes. My grandpa, he had a John Deere planter that was a, a no-till planter back in the early 70s with uh, Alice Chalmers uh, opener or, you know, uh, the no-till openers. And we actually got some up in the barn yet, I think. Actually, dad went to the ridge till back in the 80s. He kind of thought that was the way to go. And and it wasn't too bad. And then I kind of abandoned all these practices and just went back to the old ways of plowing and chisel plowing and did whatever Ohio State told me to do, I guess. The Ohio State. <laughs> the Ohio State <laughs> University. You know, it's something when you're younger and you kind of think you know a lot. But anyway, so eventually we got into strip till and probably in the late 90s did that and built machines to do the strip till with dry fertilizer. What was the thought process behind that? We used to do some ridge and and now we kind of abandoned that because the 
big universities are saying, hey, you know, this is the, con- you know, quote unquote, conventional way to do it. And then you guys made that switch back into strip till so you could get that more band placed fertility and stuff. Was that just a dream um, or a guess or? Uh, no, no, I, there's a lot of labor involved, obviously, with more, <laughs> more plowing and working ground and all that. But I tried out one of the first strip till rigs, I think it was, well, not, I don't know. I'm sure there's more than one, but the rip strip was the one we started with, which was a DMI 2500 inline ripper. And it was a six row and it, and I used it from a neighbor down here or the Burkharts. They, they sell case stuff. And I was just so impressed with the way that it just, you know, totally disrupted the ground, but it didn't flip it over. And so you were breaking up what we thought we had compaction or maybe we did, I don't know, but we just really uh, liked the way that that did it. And then it left you a nice little strip on top that when you planted it, it leveled the field. And so you didn't have those ridges like we used to have that you'd bounce over and you'd really get mad at, you know? So uh, the ridges were good. I mean, they, they had a reason, you know, cause it got drier on top and it did pretty good, but it was really annoying as well. But so the strip till was really good and putting that band of fertilizer down there. Yeah. You could cut back on the, the dry fertilizer usage. I don't know. I kind of went, went away from that because we had to co-op was I was working as well and, and they would spread the fertilizer and it, they wouldn't uh, do it the way I wanted. And so that's when I built the one to put it in the ground with the strip. And I, I liked the way that that was doing it, but the co-op wouldn't actually do what you wanted them to do. Is that what you just said? <laughs> well, they would, they would argue with me. This is like, you know, 20 years ago, but they'd argue with me because I was working in a shop and uh, this is, yeah, it's been a while. It's been 20 some. Anyway, they would say, oh yeah, we'll spread that fertilizer for you, but you know, you got to do it and uh, then strip till it or whatever. And then when I'd go to work, they'd spray 28 on the corn and it'd be like 80 degrees outside, you know? And I'm like, what, is that going to stay there? And they say, oh yeah, it's going to stay there. I said, what about all the rain, you know, when the dry fertilizer, does it run down into the creek? No, no, it won't go anywhere. Magic. It's magic, Nathan. I got kind of fed up with it. So I said, that's, that's that. And we went away from that and we did the strip tilling for a while though. And I, I did like it, but I didn't like the horsepower requirements because we were kind of outgrowing the six row corn planter at that point. And I had bought a 12 row and I didn't like the way the six row matched up with the 12 because you couldn't get it just on right. You know, even with RTK, it still wasn't working right because it would drift and it would do some weird stuff. So we did end up getting a 12 row uh, with a mole knife. And we could pull that, but I still didn't like the horsepower requirements. And I kind of went away from all that. Somebody just suggested, well, you could just no-till. And I'm like, man, there's no way. How in the world are you going to get that to work? That was probably at least 10 years ago. Maybe. I don't know. Somewhere in there. But You know, my uh, dad, when I was getting into this, we actually had the license plate that said we no-till on his license plate. You know, looking back on it, I thought we were doing something good and conservative, but I ultimately, I think my dad just wanted to save money. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of time savings there, and there is a lot of things. And I've learned a lot of that over time. Uh, we rented a farm one time that it was a ways from home, and a fella had farmed it for 25 years, continuous no-till. And we were out there pulling soil samples one day, and we had a one-inch rain. And we were stuck way in the back, you know, I mean, we were walking. <laughs> so we went to the fence row and it was a cold rain too. It didn't feel real good, but we kind of stayed under the trees, you know, till the rain quit. But what amazed me was the water didn't soak in. The water just ran off. I mean, for the amount of rain we got, it really bothered me. And it made me think, I don't know if that no-till is really all that great because the water's not soaking into the ground. So I didn't really understand it all at that point. Long term, you know, we just keep evolving here. I guess we just kind of got to the point that I just didn't want to work ground or I didn't want to strip till and I just no-tilled because this friend of mine suggested it. I really got into it. 
We were putting just rye cover crop down for quite a while now. It's probably been about 14 years, I suppose. And we would put all cover, just put rye on, whether it would be with a big A and spread it on or drill it in or use a high boy or spray or airplane, whatever. And we would get it done by about Thanksgiving every year. And it may not show up much in the fall, but it would come in the spring. And then I got accustomed to just spraying early because God forbid you ever drive into that green, you know. <laughs> so we, we, we would go in there about first couple of weeks in April and spray it and kill it off. And then about a week or two later, you'd come back in and it'd be crispy and you could just no-till into it. And it did really good. The corn did do pretty good. So was that really started just um, for like weed control or what was it that was like, okay, I'm doing no-till now. And and so what was it about the rye grass that you said, yep, I'm going to put down some rye, however we get it on, got to get it on in the fall. What was that mindset? Well, that, that kind of sparked from that, that incident of that soil testing. Oh, day no, that I, I was so upset about that because I'm like, well, how's come that water ran off that field? And that's when people were telling me, well, you know, if you have roots in the soil and you got it growing something or another, then it would probably hold it better. And, and I thought, well, okay. And the only thing that I really knew was rye. And it's a cereal rye, not rye grass. It's a little different. But yeah, so every acre would get coated with rye every year. I thought it did pretty good. I was pretty happy with it for the most part. But then somebody else sparked me a little bit further down the line. They said, well, why don't you just plant green? <laughs> I said, there's no way. I don't know where we're going to do that. I'm not planting uh, the three, three foot tall grass. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going in there. So at this point, we had bought a 16 row corn planter. And a friend of mine had an eight row strip tiller. We would work together all along on these six row deals. Then it went to the eight row. He wanted to strip till still, so he did his strip till, and I just did no till, and I planted green. And I'm like, wow, this isn't so bad. But I was really focused on trying to hold soil moisture going into the rest of the year so that later in the summer you would have that moisture to draw from for the corn, you know, to finish out correctly. And so I liked what it was doing, but I didn't really understand a lot about the cover crops until that point. And, and, you know, at this point, we were pretty heavy on corn and beans. We had kind of evolved away from the three crop rotation of years ago. Probably about 10, 12 years ago, we quit because we had a really late fall, couldn't get the wheat in the ground. And some guys northwest Ohio have experienced that. I think Indiana as well, that they just couldn't get the wheat in this fall. Some of those guys just never got it in. And if they did, it didn't look real good. That was kind of the year we were having that year. And, and of course, wheat price wasn't that good. And, and you know, corn and beans looked like you could make more money. So we switched and went to the two crop rotation. And then I got real greedy and was like, man, I think we could do corn on corn. And we were doing like, <laughs> two-thirds the farm to corn on corn and a third beans. It was getting pretty crazy. I had people telling me I couldn't do this, and so that just made me, you know, want to do it more. We did a farm test, and we did a pretty good-sized farm, and we did uh, five years continuous corn, non-GMO corn, with rye for a cover crop every winter. So just so people kept telling me we couldn't do it, I don't know why, but I just did it. Anyway, that farm still today is a better farm because of that organic matter that was put back into the soil. And that taught me a lot about organic matter. Remember where we're at, but for everybody listening, because I have kind of, I knew this about you, but I kind of forgot, but you guys are no-till somewhat. Well, I guess you're not much corn on corn anymore, but you're planting into green cover crop. And you're non-GMO. Yep. Well, on the corn, the beans, we kind of flip-flop around. This next year will be E3 beans, I believe. Yeah. We've yeah. been liberties yeah. off and on and non-GMO beans off and on. But, yeah. yeah. I absolutely love that because you guys are making this work. Obviously, you have your challenges and all that stuff. But, I mean, the stuff that you're doing, it's not a miracle. I mean, you know, put your mind to it, and you got to make the system work, and you've got to stick with the program, and, and you've just got to do it. So I just wanted to reiterate for everyone listening, yep. 
Think about that for a second. <laughs> no till, plants green, non-GMO corn. So, so think about that. So, sorry for interrupting you, but you're, you're fine. That's a good thing to remind people, and it, it does kind of remind me because I got pretty bullheaded, you know, uh, over the years. The GMO corn came out, and we we were right on board with everybody. I mean, we were one of the first ones to have the, the Roundup Ready beans in yep. what ninety four, I think it was. And, one of the first guys to have the GMO corn. And I mean, we had every trait you could think of. And I just, I don't know, kind of got fed up with it because I'm like, Whoa, why are we paying all this? Do we really need this? You know? And so we switched gears and went to non-GMO and we're still non-GMO, but we've gone away from the corn on corn because it became logistics nightmare (laughs) trying to get it all planted, then get it all side dressed. And I would side dress it all at least twice, if not three times. Yep. Because I believed that the nitrogen, you know, needs to be put on when it, when the plant needs it or right before that so that it can utilize it because we get some pretty nasty rains and I'm sure everybody else does, but you just wonder how much gets lost when you get those heavy rains. So, uh, yeah, we've evolved back to the three crop rotation since then. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you're kind of back to that three crop rotation and, and you can see the benefits, you're obviously no till. Now you're starting to get a handle on the cereal rye. What was it that made you go out there and think, you know what? I'm going to do some of these multi species. I know that I, I think it was earlier i I know it was on um another shorter podcast that we did that you talked about i mean you're you're playing 18 plus different species of cover crops and some of your mixes what was it about you know what hey maybe we should be looking at more than just cereal right yeah so that process has evolved over the last i'd say three years that before that we were going up to about a six-way mix for about the last six years i think or so it wasn't until I was at a conference in Wichita, I believe it's the No-Till on the Plains conference, and that would be in late January. Very good conference, kind of like this interview. You get the real scoop of what's going on with a producer anywhere in the world. It's, yep. it's a very good. There's a very good diversity there. But there was a lady there, and her name was Dr. Christine Jones, and she talked about something she would call quorum sensing and uh we're all like what what's that mean <laughs> quorum sensing in her book her the way she describes it is uh, you know in a in a board meeting you have to have a quorum of people in order to get the business transacted or done and so if there's you know 10 people on the board and at least six show up then you can get the job done but if you don't you can't the point she's trying to make is that if you were to look at a cover crop or a mono species like corn, soybeans, wheat, whatever, anything that we plant today, it's always one thing. And even if you have a couple things, and I even asked her this specifically, I said, well, what about my six-way cover crop blend? And, and she kind of almost laughed at me. You know? <laughs> and she's like, you need at least 10 to 12 species in order for them to all talk to each other. To, to work with each other. And after hearing her speak and understanding some more things, and I've been to some of these other meetings where I've seen this, and what's going on is it's like what happened in the Plains states years ago before we plowed up stuff in the 30s and stuff, whatever. <laughs> you have different plant species that make or utilize different attributes. So you know, one plant, say like your radish, we know about radishes, okay? Radish have that big, big deep tap root, and it's bringing up phosphorus and storing it there. Well, then you got a legume such as alfalfa or soybeans or vetch or something, clovers that fixate nitrogen in the soil. Each plant has a different root depth and a plant height. And as you mix and match some of these, you start to realize that, you know, hey, this plant over here is making this. It has an abundance of this. This plant over here needs that, but it has abundance of this. And you just go on and on. And the key to having the quorum of seeds or plants is you don't know what the weather is going to do from the day you plant that till the end of its life. And 
what it has taught me is that you can go plant your say it's just a 12-way blend or something okay well okay now it's going to be hot and dry for the next four weeks well you know maybe only four of those plant species really flourish in that kind of weather at least you got something green okay and then once it does start raining well then those other things start to grow and then at least keeps you going because you know as well as I do if you plant something that is not meant for hot and dry weather it's not going to grow (laughs) (laughs) so if you can utilize that and I've seen it because this is my second year of doing this well actually third but uh second on full scale farm level the 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 summer was completely different from the summer before after wheat harvest, okay? And different things started to grow. And of course, the foxtail loved to grow for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> but it's amazing because you could look at that field and it'll, it'll you're get, you'll get mad. You go, oh my gosh, it's solid foxtail. What's going on out there? And then you drive by it a month later and you can't even find a foxtail. It's just solid whatever. I mean, I got pictures that, you know, you got legumes crawling up, you know, the stems of grasses and it's really an awesome thing. So what you're doing is you're building soil organic matter for one thing, but you're also building a ton of resiliency there so that it helps you to get through the year, the growing year for the crop of corn the following year. So how would that grower, maybe they're dabbling in a little bit of cereal rye, but, but how do you go to the newcomers and you say, hey, this is, you need to be looking at like 14, 16, 18 way mix. And this is kind of what you need to be looking for is there kind of a rhyme or reason that you can kind of help out with what are your thoughts on that the key to this whole equation is wheat and i'll be speaking about that at the national no-till conference on friday down in louisville first week of january i believe and that's what my my talk is about is about adding wheat back into the rotation and you know your first thing you're doing if like this time of year you'll be sitting in your office and you'll go there's no way in a normal year, <laughs> that you're going to ever grow wheat because it's like it's five bucks or whatever it is. And of course, right now it's like eight something, but take that out of the equation, okay? And you have to look at what the wheat is allowing you to do. First of all, you have three different crops in a row growing. You got corn, soybeans, wheat. They're all subsequent crops, but then after that, that window is gigantic to get a cover crop. So it's kind of like years ago when you had a foul year, the seventh year you'd let it just rest or whatever. Well, in this case, it would grow. Let me see here. You you got, say you get the wheat off by the 15th of July. Even the worst case scenario, it's the 1st of August. Got a ton of growing weather yet in that season. And a lot of guys would like to plant double crop beans because it's an instant cash crop. but it's a detrimental crop to the soil. And so if you want to grow your soil, you're going to want to put this cover crop in. So if you are a first timer and you want to try it, I would suggest plan on planting a field of wheat that will go to corn the following year and then forego the double crop beans and get yourself whatever mix. Uh, You know, talk to some people, try to understand. A lot of it's pretty common stuff now. There's certain plants that give you a lot of nitrogen for the corn the following year, and it overwinters relatively easy to kill if you're afraid of, you know, you don't want to plant green. Go ahead and burn it off the first of April, and then then go in there and plant it crispy brown if you're no-tilling, or work it in. It doesn't matter. It's done its job by then. The later you can wait, the more nitrogen you're going to get, but... I also understand you want to get the corn in on a proper time and you want to get it out of the field earlier. You got to do what you got to do. That's your cash crop. But the key to the whole thing is wheat. You have to have that time to get the wheat off and then get the new cover crop planted. And plus it allows you if you got, you know, manure, which most guys that have animals already know that. That's why they plant wheat so they can spread manure after the wheat. That's probably the quickest way to get the most bang out of it and uh yeah you can plant rye and rye is good i mean oats are good there's a lot of cover crops that are simple and they work but 
when you mix them all together like that, all of a sudden now you've kind of supercharged it and you're like, wow, this is a lot better results than what you were getting before. Today's episode is brought to you by our new partnership with Solar. We're saying goodbye to our electric bill. At the end of 2021, we made the decision to get solar panels. The solar company we have partnered with has made things so quick and seamless. They finished our installation on two of our projects within 24 hours. There are incredible tax benefits and no electric bill. That makes it a win-win. The company we're working with even financed the project at less than 2% interest with no money down. That makes our monthly payment $100 less than our electric bill was. You can get your free quote at www.abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Again, abetterwaytofarm.com forward slash solar. Real quick, so I, I kind of feel like what you're saying is the ideal time to seed cover crops is that mid-August to early September timeframe, which I have kind of known, and, and that's one of the things that kind of talk about with the guys that want to do cover crops, but would you agree that that's really your window to get this blend seeded is, is kind of that mid-August, early September timeframe? Yeah, and it's tough to do in a growing crop. I mean, we have done this. We've built haggy high boy spreader machines to do this we've had airplanes we've had about every way you could put a cover crop put on and the problem runs into it continuously is it just can't get established in another crop good enough to get your money back out of it it's a catch-22 you just i mean i would love to go throw a cedar on my haggy while i'm wide dropping and i'm still tempted to do it I think I could do it and put some ryegrass in and some radish or something just to get something in there. But you got to be careful because it doesn't want to grow. I mean, I've got friends that do it and they've got some stuff growing, but it's kind of sketchy and you're dealing with a monoculture again. I mean, unless you can get that massive blend. And so my big win is always after wheat with that cover crop. And then the rye after the corn is the the struggle some years because you just can't get it done after the crop and sometimes you can do it in crop but then it doesn't come and it's kind of a tough one sometimes. So then when you talk about interseeding there's been a huge push. Um, I know there's a grower uh, Jason Mock that, that's really kind of made it famous doing this relay crop and I work with a grower out in central Nebraska and they're trying to do some relay crops as well. Where do you see that there might be a benefit in relay cropping or is really it kind of the, the rotation that you're talking about? Where do you see kind of the similarities and the differences between kind of the way you do things and, and the way uh, relay crop is kind of becoming more popular? Uh, yeah, so years ago around here, we did interseeding soybeans into wheat and we would always do it uh, Memorial Day weekend. And it was pretty good. I mean, you would Hands down, I had an average yield of about 40 bushel beans off of those year in, year out. And, yep. and it would not affect the wheat yield whatsoever. So I do totally get what they're saying. I, I don't say anything wrong about that. But at the same time, it's a different management level than what we're doing. And you got to be okay with that. Because if you've watched him harvest or whatever, he's got those pans on there to kind of flop something down while he's harvesting something else. And I've been there. I, I understand that. But sometimes it'll make you tear your hair out because you're trying to do too many things. And so, like I talked about before with, you know, I was doing a lot of corn and bean rotation, and then I added the wheat. And yes, there might have been an economic downfall to go into wheat, okay? But the thing that I've realized from this is now you've got a huge window to work in that basically starts in the middle of February. You can start top dressing wheat and it ends about Thanksgiving and it spreads that workload. Instead of you having to worry about however many acres of corn and going, oh my gosh, I can't get this done. And I remember back to the days of interseeding soybeans, you know, at that time, you're still trying to finish planting regular beans. You're interseeding beans. And if you got hay, you're trying to make first cutting hay. 
And then you're trying to side dress corn all at the same time. And it's just it's too many things going on at one time. Yep. So this has spread my workload out. The biggest bottleneck I've found so far is just is taking the wheat off in a timely manner. And we can do quite a few acres in a day, but you know, this summer we got dumped on with rain. And so that, that gets to be a little bit of a problem because you're why you're still wide dropping corn while you're trying to take the wheat off. Well, and I think you got like like 10 inches of rain during that time period, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was over 10 inches, 10 to 11 inches during the period of time when we started harvesting wheat to the time we got done, which is pretty unusual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Most of the time you can get most of it all off within before it gets really any rain. But, you know, so there is struggles to everything. But the thing that's really nice is in the fall, now you don't have all this acres of corn or soybeans to take off. You know, you got that stress level. Just for instance, you know, the sprayer, I mean, when we go out to side dress, we literally can do it all in a day or two, you know? So you just pick a day. Okay. We're going to go put fungicide on wheat today. Boom. It's done. You don't have to drag it out and then you're trying to get corn sprayed at the same time or you're doing something else. And so it's all a management thing. But what I'm seeing with this level of management for me, I think is a little bit less stressful than trying to do the interseeding. The interseeding is is a different level. I think you can get some benefits there. I think they actually, you get that benefit of the two crops, you know, the one being a legume and the other one being a grass, it's utilizing that nitrogen. And that that's awesome. And anytime you can do that, well, then that's great. But, you know, you have to also ask yourself, what level of management do I want to be at? Yeah, and that's one of the things that I kind of wanted to just kind of drive the point home right now there is something I'm going to bring up pro ag again, because I absolutely feel like our pro ag training is by far and above some of the best training that you can get there on the market, especially as a grower. Yeah. Maybe you are a professional CCA or whatever. It's still fantastic, but at the grower level, it really takes a deep dive into some of this stuff. And one of the things I thought was interesting, you know, I have to go back to it. The first time I went to a pro ag was 2015 and, and Denny Damon would always show this video and we still show it to this day. It's life in the soil. And it would, it kind of shows microscopic level what's really going on there. And you sit through that and you're like, this doesn't matter. Well, one of the things they talk about is what happens actually in the root zone at the root hair. And I'll never forget. I went to, this is probably, gosh, this is probably five years ago. Now I went to a meeting where a guy was talking about cover crops. And when you talk about that blend, that 12-way, 16-way, 18-way, one of the benefits, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, Nathan, is that the plants will take up nutrients, but they also expel nutrients, right? So they have these root exudates, and this this dude called it exudate juice, and I, I just, that stuck with me forever, is that this exudate juice that these different crops are expelling back into the soil solution, that's what's ultimately happening and and that's where you were getting this bigger benefit from the cash crop that we've got and so even when you look at that interseeding or that relay crop yeah you might have the benefit of a legume providing a little bit of nitrogen for the grass but ultimately when you have a blend a larger blend of legumes and different root structures and and different grasses and stuff that exudate juice that they're leaving in that soil solution is really what's benefiting you the most, right? I mean, I mean, that's probably why it works better in kind of your operation and on top of it, like you said, the window of opportunity uh, for success is, is even larger. Yeah. The thing I really like about it is, is the window in the summertime next summer, we're actually adding even more. Uh, So at this point, just to kind of get me back up to the speed here, we were talking about the heavy corn and bean rotation. And we went to this, well, Last year, we put sunflowers in with the cover crop mix and we harvested them. And that was kind of a neat thing. But this year, we got the sunflowers planted a lot later because of all the rain. And uh, we didn't expect to get anything out of it. But I think they will. we will get them harvested sometime over the winter and sell them for bird seed, which will be good. But next year, it'll be very interesting to watch because uh, we've got access to some manure. And so in the summertime... Like I said, you got a huge window. So once you get the wheat off, 
you know, a few bale straw for whatever. You've got a lot of time in the summer to be able to spread the manure and then get the cover crop established or, you know, you could get the cover crop going and then put the manure on, whatever. But you just got a lot more time. You're a lot more relaxed and you're working in drier soils or better soils than you are you know, in the spring or the fall. So I'm trying to alleviate as much stress as you can early and late in the year, because that's when the soils are wetter and heavier and you don't want to cause compaction and stuff. So trying to do as much as you can during the summer. Now we do not do much hay anymore. We used to do quite a bit, but we're pretty small on that now. But So what is it that works so well in, in your system that you can still plant green? Because to me, holy smokes, that's that's a sight to see. You watch somebody plant in the green. That's pretty cool. Uh, so that that has evolved as well, you know, over time. And you know, a friend of mine told me he says we can plant green. I I just really couldn't get over that. So I finally did it because I think he put me up to it, you know. And I said, well, yeah, I'll show you, you know. <laughs> and we did all the corn. I mean, we went when we do it, we. Cold turkey, we just go straight in and get it done. And oh man, I was not happy that first year, you know, because we had different attachments on the planter that was causing problems and shafts and turning and just things wrapping. And but you know, as far as the agronomic side of it, it's an awesome thing. You're getting a lot going on there, and you spray it right that day, you know, and kill the what's there. There's many, many things there to be learned and talk about. That could get into a pretty lengthy discussion. <laughs> um, so it's probably the best way to get the most good out of the cover because you're allowing the cover to grow right up to the point the corn plant needs to take over. Yep. Okay. So when that happens, you know, you want to kill it right then and there. You want to do it within 24, or 48 hours of the planting of corn. Because now that cover crop has served its purpose, it's it's given all that off, and then those roots need to die so that the corn roots can follow those root paths in the soil and pick up those nutrients. Now, up to this point this year, we have rolled the cover crop for the last five or six years. So we put a guy out there and we'll roll it the same direction we're planting it, and it's it, Typically, you know, once it gets about middle of May, I'd say about the first week or two in May, then you got to start rolling it because it gets too big and we'll roll it. Some of it will be four or five feet high. It's just, I've seen rye that was, you know, six foot high and the, you know, cleaning the radiator out of the tractor and blowing it out all the time and all that. But the best cover crop mix we found ahead of the corn I mean, with our six-way mixes and stuff, we're, you know, had a lot of vetches really good at fixing nitrogen ahead of the corn. And plus, it just crawls up everything. And when you roll it, it just lays her down like a mat, and it, it dries out super fast. It doesn't have a lot of carbon in it. So it doesn't lay there as a wet mat. And you got to be careful because the more stuff you add, you know, how much carbon content does that have and how much mat is it going to lay on the ground? Right. You know, if you lay a whole thing of rye down, rye is high in carbon, and it, it takes forever to break down, and it, it lays wet, especially like this spring. We had a lot of moisture, and it was cooler. So we had slugs growing underneath there. And so it's kind of prompted me to go a little bit different for next spring. So up to this point, we've been all no-till for quite a while. <laughs> we've got a a tool here to just lightly work it kind of like a vertical tool, but it would only work, you know, a couple inches deep or something. And we're going to try to agitate that very top to alleviate some of those slugs ahead of soybeans. It's not what I want to do, but at the same time, you know, it's a management tool because, uh, you know, the only other options I've got right now are to do the slug baits or, or something like that. The reason I'm bringing this up is in a green situation, and we've done this before, and we've seen tremendous results from the corn. We did it with a field of rye one time, and it was a really big stand of rye, six foot tall. We took a joker disc across that, hit it twice, and it looked like a garden. Now, 
This is against everything I just preached about on on no-till. But what I'm trying to tell you is you get a massive carbon release and the corn will just take off. And that was the best corn we've ever raised. But you got to remember that tillage is detrimental. If you can build that base under the ground with your roots and your worms and all that stuff, do not disturb that because that's their home. You know, when you start taking rippers and chisels through there, you're busting all that up. So they have to rebuild all that every time. Point I'm getting at is if you can work that top just a little bit and incorporate that, that will work and it will help you. So like I said, if you're a first time guy and you want to try this, plant your wheat, get your cover crop figured out, put that in. And then the next spring, do not go in there with heavy tillage. If you're used to tillage, just go in there and lightly work that. Now, granted, you're not going to do it with a field cultivator. You got to have something that's going to cut, yep. and, uh, you know, and then plant its corn. Your emergence, everything, you're going to be better off. So we're going to be doing that on a few acres next spring. Up to this point, we've cover crop, we've rolled it, you know. The, it works really good with like, like I said, with, with mixes that are low in carbon content, because what happens when you roll it and you spray it, it's dead and crispy and it's not a mat laying on the ground. Now, if you're in like Western States, like you get out your way towards Nebraska and that area, you may want to hold that moisture there where we live. We get too much. If you want, then you would plant more higher carbon content stuff out that way and roll that down, make it like a blanket on that soil to keep that soil cooler and wetter so that it will keep the moisture in. Out here, we got to get it to dry out as fast as possible. That's <laughs> yep. So yeah. that's, a, that's a struggle. We have a lot of struggles with this process. It's not for everybody, but... Um, yeah, it requires a different management level, right? But that's what... Uh, taking take, Whether you're trying to you know build you know, record yields or whether you're just trying to save a bunch of money or I shouldn't say save a bunch of money, but put a bunch of money in your pocket. It takes a different management level. You can't just go out there, you know, blow on your gas and your dry broadcast and and then plant and then see you next harvest and expect, you know, great things out of that. You've got to take some of this stuff to the next management level. Exactly. So with that being said, what would you say then has really been the biggest benefit or, or what are some of these benefits that you have seen for doing the, the cover crops and the going back to the three-way rotation that you've got, three-year rotation that you've got? What are some of these benefits when it comes to fertility and soil health and water infiltration and all that stuff? What are some of the things that you're seeing? There's a lot of good things that come along with this and, uh, they probably drive me more than anything is, you know, my focus going forward is to have soil that's better to produce crops on when I'm done farming than when we started. And I think that if you can look at it that way, instead of, you know, trying to get every dime out of everything all the time, it's a better way to look at things long-term because you got to feed your future generations. Uh, We're not going to be here that long, you know? So If you can look at it and think about it in that realm, I'm seeing huge benefits because I've seen one farm go from 1.7 organic matter to over four, and that's in 20 years or less. We didn't even know what we were doing. You know, today, I think you're going to see these numbers go higher, faster. A lot of the ground that we farm is in that 1.5 to 2.5 range, and so uh, we're getting levels up over three. I think that that's that's probably a big factor. The other factor is is that you know it's a healthier soil. It can handle a lot more weather, and so with today's climate change that we continuously hear about, you know as well as I do that the, the storm frequencies are worse than they ever were, and you know the, the the amount of rains we would get at one time are far more than what they used to be. This builds in resilience against those weather events that your soil can handle a lot more and I see it you know we've got some pretty highly erodible ground and it had some pretty good gullies in it and we had waterways in it and this and that those waterways are gone we do not have the erosion that we used to have Uh, the root structure holds it you know that's one thing I love there's one cover crop 
I really love that's relatively cheap is flax. Flax is one that has a super fine root system that's right at the surface, and uh, it just kind of locks it all together. It's relatively cheap. A pound of the acre is like a buck or something. Wow. You know? yeah. It's really good. There's a lot of things you, you learn with all this, but long term, this farm is going to be there, and it's not going to need all these things force-fed into it. My concern going forward is, you know, we got to grow more cover crop seed, so we got more to plant on the crop. Um, but it's still the cost of the cover crop seed is going up a little bit, I'm sure. But for what it produces or what it can do for you is far better. And it's not something that, you know, you have to buy every year, like your nitrogens or, or whatever. Well, and you've, you've even gone away from using dry broadcast. I mean, that's not even, you've been away from dry yeah. broadcast for years now. I mean, that's not even a, a question. Right. Yeah. So we've, we've had pretty much neutral pH soils, haven't had to do lime, haven't had to do dry fertilizers. But if you look at your analysis on a lot of these things that you're putting on the soils, they pull that down. And so you've got to lime, it, you know, so you got to really look at it from that standpoint and there's so many more things we could do with this and it once you get your soils up to that speed i think you know that's where you can really kind of fine-tune it later in life and do the foliars and do some of the other things to really make it pop but it's a matter of getting all your soil correct to begin with as we get this wrapped up you know that's one of the things it's kind of a rhetorical question but i always love the question you know, how do you eat an elephant, right? Well, you sit there and think, well, how in the world would you eat an elephant? Well, you do it one bite at a time, just like anything else. The cover cropping system that you have in place that you would recommend to, to growers, not just in central Ohio, but all across the United States, that's not a, hey, we're going to start this summer and then boom, things are going to be flipped over in 2022. So kind of talk about that just a little bit. Like, about resilience and, and sticking with it. Maybe it is a little bit of that attitude that your neighbor says, oh, there's no way you can do it. So you kind of want to show them up and we're going to make sure that, that you're going to get this done. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd say the first year we planted green, we took on a bunch of ground. And I, I heard a lot of chatter in the neighborhood. You know, it's like, man, that guy's totally lost. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the corn looked horrible that year because it's a whole different way to look at it. You know, most of us want to see it flipped over and black ground and you want that corn popping up through that black ground and you want it to look really awesome and you want it to look dark green its entire life. And that's easy to do if you work it up and you plant it and put all your fertilizer on up front. <laughs> but, you know, when you do this, you will look pretty crazy because that corn is planted into colder ground it's wetter ground it's not going to come quite as fast now if it's a little later in the season it'll warm up but the thing is is that it'll look kind of sickly for a while because it just isn't getting all that sunlight like in warmed up ground now once it gets later in the summer and then the other corn starts to roll the leaves because it's getting dry and it doesn't know next drink of water's coming and our stuff just kind of starts popping. I can remember very clearly that first year because it was fair time. It was middle of July and our corn was just kind of behind and didn't look so hot and everybody else's was kind of made, but it was going into that dry period, you know, and that's when ours took off. I mean, it just took off into September and it, it just looked really stout by the end of the season. You have to kind of make it work for your own operation. Yep. But the key to it is, is having the diversity and being able to put that diversity on in a good time to get it established, to get the growth out of it that you need. Sure. So is there anything that maybe I didn't ask that, that you'd like to throw out there? Or is there something, some key thing, some key takeaway that the growers that are listening to this, they can speed this whole thing up to right here at the very end and leave them kind of with that golden nugget, so to speak, how to make cover crops work in your rotation. I'd say I, I have to come back to the wheat again. I hate to yep. keep bringing that up, but it's pretty easy to preach about wheat right now because it's good price, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, you know, it's too late to plant it this year anymore, but it, it's the only way you're going to be able to get 
really going with it. Now, if you can't use wheat in rotation, then we did a corn-soybean rotation for a long time with a six-way mix. And then as it got later in the season, like after beans, you know, we would take parts out of that. So like radishes, you'd plant till whatever, the 15th to 20th of September out here, you know, or, you know, there's certain things you would just keep pulling out if it got later and later and later, and then eventually just end up with pretty much just straight rye. But we have found that you could put vetch on late November and you may not see it till spring, but it will grow. The problem is it costs a lot of money for that seed. And the benefit that you're going to get out of it before you plant the corn isn't enough to offset the cost. So that's why I say wheat is the key. And so you kind of want to add the wheat, but it's not the only thing. I mean, there's other crops that come off early. You could do barley. You can even get away with oats or something, but oats are pretty crazy high price. I don't know who buys them right now, but (laughs) Uh, yeah, there's other alternatives. It's not like we're stuck on this corn soybeans all the time i'd say it's probably your biggest benefit though is is just you know you're adding the soil organic matter and you're doing more with the resiliency you can got water holding capacity better infiltration there's just there's a lot of benefits and you know like this fall we had to have a really thick cover crop you know and we rolled it in spring it was on top of the ground all year and i walked that corn right before we shelled it and it was bare ground oh wow it was just worm castings everywhere. So that tells you that, you know, your soil's doing what it's supposed to do. And it's not costing you anything to do it. To me, going forward in the uncertain times that we're in with prices of inputs, or even if you can get them, I would suggest looking at this pretty, pretty highly, you know, and yeah. try to make it work in your operation, at least on a few acres and try it. So, yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Nathan, thank you very much for the time, man. We greatly appreciate the conversation and look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on here, Tyler. And be glad to talk anybody through it or try to help them out anytime so they can reach out to me. Would you be okay sharing your information here real quick? Sure. Yeah. You can call my cell phone at 419-563-6906 or you could email. That's just Sunny Slopes Farm at gmail.com so just reach out if you've got any questions or get a hold of tyler and he'll shoot them over to me i'm sure yep absolutely well we hope you enjoyed today's conversation and then we ask you please review our content and drop a comment we also ask you follow a better way to farm on facebook and like and share that page with your family your friends or anyone you may know that find value in what we do now we just opened an online apparel store so jump on the facebook page and find that link and show everyone this holiday that there is a better way to farm. And as always, we hope that you're having a better day. A better way to farm.com You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.